0: Of heights to the depths of the sea.
1: That Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat?
0: Uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jesus knew what miracle he was about to perform, but wanted to use the opportunity to teach his disciples. For Jesus, this wasn't only about getting a job done, feeding the multitude, but also about teaching his disciples along the way. Philip had already seen Jesus do many miracles. There should have been no question to him about the divine resources Jesus had. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins our study in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John.
1: John's Gospel, chapter 6, and we're hopefully going to look through the first 21 verses this morning, but we may only get to through verse 14. We'll see how it goes. We're going to be taking communion together this morning. But let me, um, why don't we stand together and let's read. Let me read to you and follow along with me, if you would, the first 14 verses of John's Gospel, chapter 6. Notice it says, After these things that Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, "'Where shall we buy bread that these may eat?' But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered and said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Father, we just thank you for this passage, and Lord, the, the incredible significance that it is. Lord, that you are the one who has power over all things, Lord. The creation, you have power over uh, all of nature, as we will see, Lord willing, today. And Lord, that you have the ability to sustain human life. Lord, just more than just our physical frame, but Lord, on into eternity. Lord, you're the one. You are the sustainer. And Lord, we exalt your name this morning. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated. You remember that the theme of John's Gospel is recorded for us in John chapter 20, verse 31, which says this, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life through his name. And that's really the crux of the whole Gospel of John. And and this morning we're going to be looking at the fourth sign or the fourth miracle of the seven miracles that are shown us in the Gospel of John. We are on number four, and perhaps we'll get to number five when Jesus walks on the water. And all of these signs were very specific to allow us to understand that Jesus is God, because only God, is there anybody here, by the way, that has walked on water? Raise your hand. (laughs) No one, right? None of us have walked on water. But Jesus has. And actually, there's one other person in history that has walked on water. You know who he is? Peter. He's the only one out of all of humanity that has walked on water with Jesus. And I love that. The one who was boisterous. The one who was uh, uh, impetuous. The one who was very proud and self-confident. God said, come Peter. And hopefully we'll get to that this morning. But Peter did too. I want you to notice something, that when we look at chapter 5, which we looked at uh, last Sunday, between chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's about six months worth of time of things that have been recorded in the scripture in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, otherwise known as the synoptics, because they cover similar things, hence the name synoptic. But John's gospel, we know, is very different, and so when we look at the, the time frame between chapter 5 and chapter 6, it's roughly about six months. And in fact, there are about 44 different recorded events in the life of Jesus that are in between chapters 5 and chapter 6 that are recorded for us, like I said, in the other Gospels. And this miracle, first, this fourth miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. That lends it to significance, doesn't it? That, that kind of earmarks it for something significant. And it is significant. And we will look at that. But before we get into this first verse of chapter 6, it will help us to understand what was happening right before this event occurred. And again, we don't see that here in this gospel because, like I said, there's about six months and 44 different events that have occurred. And why do I know that? Because for those of you who are interested, there's a harmony of the gospels. Men have taken in hand to try and piece together the jigsaw puzzle of all four gospels and they can all be fitted together and it takes time and prayer but men have done that and there is a list of things, of events in chronological order, the best that we know anyway, of events of Jesus' life from the very beginning of his birth and to the end when he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And so there are some things in between these chapters 5 and 6 that have happened and occurred. But one of the most significant was right before this event that we're looking at this morning. We know that John the Baptist was beheaded. Remember this forerunner before Christ. To make smooth and to... And to um, make the way straight for Jesus, this ambassador, this herald, if you will. Christ is coming. And, and John's gospel, or John the Baptist, excuse me, was all about preparing the people's hearts for when his cousin, Jesus, would come on the scene. And then what, did, what was John's message? Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He pointed faithfully to Jesus, this man who only had a six month ministry. Around six months is all he had, and it was probably the most profound ministry. And yet we sometimes think of ministries that if they last really long, wow, they must be significant. No, sometimes the most ungodly ministries are the ones that last longest. So we can never judge the the success or the effectiveness of a ministry on the years that it's been going into. John's ministry lasted six months and was profound in so many ways. And so John the Baptist is beheaded, and Jesus hears about it. The other Gospels tell us that that Jesus heard this. And it was no surprise. It didn't take him by surprise. Jesus knew from the very beginning what was going to happen. Nothing surprised him. But in his humanity, while on the earth, these things did affect him. We know that when when Lazarus died, what what did it say? The shortest verse in the Bible, he wept. Jesus wept. He knew it was coming, but it did not deter him from being human. He was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. Therein lies the mystery, the miracle of the incarnation, that through the virgin, the virgin, Mary, not a virgin, but the virgin, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, the virgin, a very specific virgin, Mary, what are the odds of a virgin giving birth? not happening. doesn't happen. It happened once in history, and she was the one. She was the one. And so John, this one whom Jesus loved, he finally is beheaded by Herod. Remember, at his birthday party, he was beheaded as a gift to his wife. John's head was brought in on a platter by her daughter, Salome, I believe her name is. Brought in John the Baptist's head on a plate and offered it to her mother that she could give to Herod as a gift on his birthday. But Jesus heard about this. And Jesus, knowing that his death was imminent, about a year from this time, Jesus would actually go to the cross. And he too would give his life. And the most brutal of deaths. Would to God that, you know, being beheaded, it sounds very gruesome, but you understand it's over in an instant. A sharp blow and it's over. Your body ceases. But not so with the crucifixion. The most horrid display. And so... Prior to this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus just hears about John's death there in Machirus on the east side of the Jordan River, where he was held in prison and finally beheaded. And not only that, but they were also very busy. Jesus' ministry had begun to really take off, and he and his disciples were very busy. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it says this, Jesus said to them, he says, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. And so this is where Jesus is at. This is the news that he just heard. Sorrowful news. And yet Jesus knew that John was in glory, but still it affected him. And he and the disciples have been busy, 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 busy. Have you ever felt that way where you just wanted to go a place somewhere and rest? You want to turn your phone off and drive somewhere. Nobody knows where you're going. They can't track you. Isn't that nice? To just get in your car and go somewhere and nobody knows where you're at. I wouldn't recommend that um, unless you are in good health. (laughs) But, you know, just to take off and say, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to go sit on a hill somewhere out in 315 land. There's plenty of hills out there. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go into some farmer's yard and sit up on a hill. <laughs> That's what Jesus did with his disciples. So let's read. Notice in verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberius." Sea of Tiberius. This phrase, after these things, is a very uh, familiar phrase to John. Um, it's, a, it's a Greek phrase called metatauda, and that may not mean a lot to you, but if you remember when we went through the book of Revelation, this, time, this phrase is really a time marker as we go through the Gospel of John. It actually helped us as we went through the book of Revelation. It helps us to determine the time and the motion in the life of Jesus on the earth and, and certain events that are happening. And John uses this quite extensively throughout his writings, certainly the Gospel. Certainly, the book of Revelation, and we saw that it was one of the key phrases in the book of Revelation. If you remember, in verse nineteen of chapter one, what was the outline that the Holy Spirit gave to us? It says, "Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this." After this, meta tauta, or after these things, they mean the same thing. And John used them, and remember, that was the the one of the markers, if you will, in our. Um, Dividing the book of Revelation up, because in Revelation chapter 4, it says, after these things, and that was the very last section of the book of Revelation that lasted until the end of the book. After these things, I saw heaven open up, and he said, come up here, remember? After these things, meta tauta. it's a, a directional phrase, and we saw that. And we'll see it as we go through the book of John. Eleven times it occurs there. In the book of Revelation, it occurred uh, nine other times. But the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, is a wonderful place. We visit this when we go to Israel. You're going to take a boat out on the middle of this thing and go right to the other side, right where that arrow is going across. We take a boat uh, across here. It's a wonderful trip. But it's about 8, 8.1 miles wide and about 13 miles long. So quite a big lake. It's fed by the, the different tributaries coming from Mount Hermon. Uh, the Benaiah Spring and the others from the Jordan come right down, feed into it. Very fresh, clean, cold water. And as you know, it leaves the Galilee and goes down through the Jordan Valley into the, um, around the Dead Sea where it's landlocked and doesn't go any further. But the, um, this place is a wonderful place. And as we look at it in this miracle that we're seeing, uh, it's helpful to just understand a few things. You know, as we look at this, we have to realize a couple of things. Jesus, before this miracle had occurred, he was in Nazareth. And Nazareth is... To the west of what we see here, to the left of the Sea of Galilee, and so Jesus would walk down this valley, and you'll see the valley that he would have to walk through, which is very common. It's a very common road even today. And you walk down through that, and you get down to Gennesaret or um, noth Ginnesar, which is where we spend four or five, about five or six days actually. And um, but it's from here that they either launched out from here or in Capernaum. In the uh, north of that, there is a fishing village called Capernaum, and it's probably there that Jesus launched out from there and went across the uh, Sea of Galilee or the lake to Bethsaida, and there's some speculation on how many Bethsaidas there are. Uh, There's certainly one over on the um, the eastern side over there, uh, Bethsaida. It's also called Bethsaida Julius, whom uh, Philip the Tetrarch had named after the emperor's daughter, whose name was Julius, so it was Bethsaida. It's a very fertile fishing village, except this one is about two miles inland. And And there's also another, perhaps, another Bethsaida, and that's Bethsaida of Galilee, which is a place perhaps near uh, Capernaum, right there along the shore, probably not too far away from Capernaum. There's also another Bethsaida of Galilee, they call it. But it really makes no difference. But the idea is just so you can see the direction of where Jesus and his disciples got in the boat, probably from Capernaum, and went over to Bethsaida. And and then he's going to come back there, as we will see uh, if we get to the end of verse 21. But John doesn't tell us precisely where this took place, but Luke tells us, that it was a place near Bethsaida in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. And this this lake, it's called many things. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's also called Lake Chinnereth or Lake Kinnereth. In the Hebrew, Kinnor means harp. And wouldn't you agree that it looks like a harp? And some think that that may have been where it derived its name. Could be. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias, On a, um, Um, Named after Tiberius Caesar because Herod uh, Antipas built this city of Tiberius, which is uh, just a little bit south of Capernaum around 20 AD. It's also known as Lake Gennesaret or Gennesar, and Gennesar is right over here, right next to Magdala where Mary Magdalene was born. The place where we stay when we go to Israel literally is right next to Magdala. So all that area right in there is very... If we could go back 2,000 years, we would see Jesus walking those that ground with his disciples. Very fertile ground, very fertile soil, very beautiful, lush place. Very wonderful place. And this is where it is. And notice, it says that a great multitude followed Jesus because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Notice the motivation. They follow because... He was healing. And there's nothing wrong, I guess, with following somebody who can heal because if I was in need of healing, I would follow Jesus too. But hopefully my relationship would grow beyond just getting a healing from him, it would grow into something more. And for many people, all it was was just a, he was just a rabbit's foot, he was just a, a miracle healer, worker. Yeah. And so. It says that Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. A Passover. We've seen this before in the Gospel of John. This, we believe, is the second of three Passovers that are recorded here in the Gospel of John. The first one was in John chapter 2, verse 13. We see one happening here, and we're also going to see one uh, in John chapter... It's mentioned in John eleven fifty five but also it, 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 it's, it, it speaks of John 13 when it's in full-blown, when it happens. Three different Passovers, because his ministry was three years. And so now we've got one year before he is going to go to the cross. That's where we are in the timeline here. And so then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he saw a great multitude. As he is over here on the on the eastern bank over here in Bethsaida, somewhere in this area over in here on the eastern side. He's there, and he's up on a mountain, and he sees with his disciples a multitude coming toward them. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Philip was from this town. Philip was born in Bethsaida. So he knew of the resources of the area, and and he was able to size up. Where are we going to get all this bread, Philip? And I wonder if Jesus was speaking kind of with his tongue in his cheek. Because Jesus knew what he would do. Notice that he specifically asked Philip, why didn't he ask Peter or John or James or somebody else? The answer may be in that Jesus knew that this was going to be a specific challenge or test that Philip specifically needed to go through at that time. And I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged when the Lord allows a test in your life to test, to see what you will do. See, God already knows what we are going to do. He knows the measure of our faith. I do not know the measure of my faith. And when he allows a test in my life, like he did with Philip here, he knew exactly what he was going to do, but Philip had no idea. Philip didn't even know what was within him. Do you know what is within you? Do you know your own heart? I'll be honest with you, I do not know my own heart. I'd like to think that I do, but circumstances come in my life and surprise me in such a way where I act in a way that I never thought I would act. Therefore, I really don't know myself like Jesus knows me. Have you been caught unawares in something? We all have. And then we're in awe at how we responded Has somebody, guys, at your workplace told a dirty joke, and you just happen to be in earshot, and instead of just shaking your head or just walking away, you find yourself going, oh, I heard that one. Oh, caught you by surprise, or a phone call, somebody visits, you get news of some unexpected thing that happens. See, God already knows the the test and what it's for. God already knows the measure of Philip's faith, and he knows the measure that it isn't. He knows where where our faith is and where it really isn't.
0: That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John.